get ready for a beautiful and totally life-affirming conversation that is going to inspire you, but also educate you. My guest this week is the remarkable father and daughter duo, Al and Kitty Tate. They're the founders of Kitty Kits, The Orange Bakery and Breducation. And what a conversation it was. So you can imagine how emotional it was, not only probably for Kitty and her dad to be doing this conversation, but for me to listen to their their story and their interactions and listening to Kitty's lowest ebbs and the story of that and not feeling um, her full self riddled by anxiety and depression and her parents looking on at what was unfolding and then finding baking, which basically not only created a career and an adventure, but it was healing and it was safe. And the way Kitty describes all of this was just poetry. And the way her father looked at Kitty as we recorded was just love. So go and find a quiet corner, make yourself some tea and definitely eat some toast, but not from the supermarket, no bread from the supermarket. You need to go and find some properly baked bread that you can make into toast and hear the story, the remarkable story of this father and daughter. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. Here are my conversations of inspiration. So hello, Kitty. Hello, Alex. How are you both today? Very well. Oh, Oh, I'm so pleased to see you both. This is, I've had a couple of duos on the podcast before, but never a father and daughter. And certainly, I think, Kitty, I've just told you, you're the youngest at 19 to be on Conversations of Inspiration. So welcome. Daddy, you can be the second youngest. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Kitty and Al, you are the founders of Kitty Kits, the Orange Bakery, and Bread education and the co-authors of the beautiful book Bread Song and your story is not only extraordinary I think it's life-affirming and I know everyone is going to love it. Um, Firstly I wanted to say I've been following your journey as you know on Instagram you were the female kitty the female founder runner-up on our independent awards in 2022. We are huge fans at Holly & Co but tell me Kitty why do you think the love of baking and of bread is such a universal language as someone who doesn't cook and certainly can't well don't think I can make bread but tell me I know so many people adore it why do you think it is this lovely language well when you look at it bread is in every culture it's in every community it is the first thing that we eat and often it is the last thing that we eat it's also the only thing that we can have for morning day and night So not only is it this staple, it brings people together. Breaking bread wherever you go around the world is a tradition and it's so lovely and accessible. And I think that's the biggest thing about bread is that, yes, we all enjoy the taste and it is very tasty and it can be very nutritious, but it's incredibly accessible for everyone. It's a one food which doesn't matter what class you're from, we all eat bread and it's always been cheap. And it always should be. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I want to come back to your mission and all you're doing on a community level and share that love of baking and bread. But I wondered if we might just go to the start, guys, of your story. Mm -hmm. Um, So I read when researching you that, Kitty, you were born in Shepherd's Bush and the youngest of three children, but moved to Watlington when you were just little with your family. And you said you were a people pleaser Mm -hmm. when you were very young and known as a happy bubbly 
anyone. And although the early part of school life was pretty happy, you started to struggle with severe anxiety when you were around 14. Can you tell me where there are triggers for that? Or was this something that just kept on creeping up on you and it sort of, you know, ended up, how, how did it manifest itself? It's a really good question because I think when we see a problem, like for me, struggling with my mental health, there was a big problem. We want to find the why. And if we can find the why, we can stop. It's like a dam. If we can find where the dam is, then we can find a way to stop it. But the thing is that there wasn't a why for me. I can look back again and again and again, and there are all these different things going around. But I also understand that finding the why now doesn't actually help me in the future. It's finding all the solutions to help me deal with it day to day. Because I was a very happy, bubbly kid, and I hope to be a very happy, bubbly adult. But the thing is that once I got depression and anxiety, and even though I was baking and I loved that, that's always going to be a part of me. Yeah. And learning to live with that and learning that actually not only is that something that I have to learn to live with, but that's something which can really help me understand others and which really guides me down the path that I can or can't take is actually incredibly helpful and in a weird way can be a bit of a gift. I commend such a way of thinking there. And Al, you were a teacher at the time. You were teaching mm. dyslexic undergraduates at Oxford. And as a parent, I can only imagine how scary it must have been. We're taking ourselves back to that time where to see Kitty struggling and I know that she withdrew from the world. And mm. remember, people listening right now, you know, they might have children themselves going through this. And I, I, it must have been a hard time for the whole family. Did you feel powerless to start with to help her? Absolutely. I think powerless is the yeah, perfect word to use. Uh, parenting doesn't come with a, a handbook. And um, if it did, I think I probably would have lost it quite early on. And we sort of muddled our way through family life and parenting. And Kitty, like she said, was was this sort of, she was the bubbly one. She was the one that we didn't have to worry about too much. Uh, and she'd bounce into rooms and, and uh, bounce into the classroom, bounce into life. And she suddenly stopped bouncing and we didn't know what to do. Uh, and it was very, very, very hard because the, the natural instinct is why, you know, well, why is this happening? And in fact, what we had to do was just sort of think, okay, this is happening and, and we have to just be there for her. We're not quite sure how or, or in what way, but we just need to be there. And Kitty, I, I think it's it's a difficult thing and it's something, isn't it, that we're now in society, we're talking about our mental health more and more, uh, which means hopefully that I know as much as you said you couldn't get out of bed sometimes, et cetera, et cetera. In the end, you did confront this and tell people, you know, and I think that's one of the first steps, isn't it, to helping is to take yourself from that point and tell your parents about it. Tell someone that you love that you are struggling. You left school around this time simply because you were in a dark place and Al gave, you gave up your job to care for mm. her. Uh, I know you and your wife, Katie, um, tried lots of things at home to help Kitty um, out of this dark space, but nothing really stuck. Before we get into your whole incredible story, by the way, this is all leading up to it. I'm just, I'm focusing in because this podcast, we touch on so many subjects mm. and actually hearing other people's lived versions of things can really, really help. Did you go down that sort of route where you thought you were, the parents, the, the family was going to ultimately be what Kitty needed to be helped? Um, I think we knew deep down instinctively we, we were we were the solution somewhere along the line, but we had no idea how. And I think it was it was just very um, heartbreaking seeing someone who you love so deeply in a place that just felt so remote and so hard for that that person. So I think it was just. I mean, I think Kit and Kit talks about it with incredible insight just that level of fear that she was living with. But we also were living with this extraordinary 
disabling fear of just thinking, well, yeah, what, what, what do we do? Mm. What is it that we can do? Uh, you know, there, there didn't seem to be an expert out there who sort of said, oh, yeah, yeah, you just need to press this button. Yeah. You know, we, we knew that we had to be the ones to find whatever button it was, but it would probably need to be Kitty who pressed it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was hard. And, and, and I, I believe that there was a number of things being tried in the ha- in the home, you know, gardening and sewing and painting and but nothing seemed to stick um, mm. until one day, Al, you decided to make a loaf of bread and Kitty, you took an interest and tell me what that first loaf of bread was to you and what you felt at that moment and why mm. baking helped you when everything else seemed to potentially be failing yeah well like you said I tried everything I knew that I had to distract myself somehow from all these thoughts and feelings flooding through my brain but every time I tried something I would do it for half an hour and then thoughts would come screaming back and I'd feel completely overwhelmed and I'd burst into tears and I wouldn't be able to do anything and then one day I watched my dad make a loaf of bread And it wasn't spectacular. He just mixed flour, water, salt and yeast in a bowl. And I actually remember like taking the mick out of him and being like, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Because the dough was just gloopy and sludgy and had no life in it. But then he just left it. And the next day he took that bowl and he took it down from the shelf. And instead of this wallpaper paste of a dough, there was this alive, bubbly, silky creature And for me, I think it just felt a little bit like my brain. And if I could just give my brain some time, it too could transform itself. So then he scooped that dough out and he baked it. And the loaf, again, it wasn't this amazing sourdough we see on like Instagram and stuff like that. It was just this really lovely golden loaf. But I think for the first time in a really long time, it had made me feel safe. And that is the lovely thing about bread. It's it's so nurturing. And in that moment, I just fell head over heels in love with it. My God, I promised myself I wouldn't get emotional before 10 minutes in and I'm already feeling it. I'm sure anyone listening is feeling it. I've never heard someone describe something that's so basic for us in such a beautiful way. And it's it's almost, it feels like it was therapeutic. You know, it's this restorative power of, crafts actually and creating and I know from this community and you would have heard from this community you know when they when people create you can escape and you can find yourself in in what you're doing and I remember reading an article it's reminding me of uh, about soldiers returning from war and you know and suffering from PTSD and they were encouraged to pursue crafts such as pottery, baking, woodwork, basketry, because it it allowed them to deal with their trauma, you know, with their hands in a way that they felt, I don't know, in control. And and if I think back to um, when I spoke to Ken Robinson's daughter, the famous Ken Robinson, mm. amazing TED Talk, Kate, um, his daughter, and about her father's work and being a love letter to human potential. You know, we talked about acknowledging that a mass education system can't cater for individuals. Al, I'm wondering what your views on that might be, especially as a former teacher, because did you, were you part of the system and then saw actually the system doesn't necessarily work for everyone, including my daughter? Yes and no. I I mean, just just very quickly, we're, we're big fans of Ken Robinson. Uh, and, and, you know, that video was something that, that brilliant, brilliant video with the, with the, the cartoons that, that happened alongside, you know, the RSA talk is something Kitty and I've watched, you know, a lot of times. Um, so I'd always, I always loved some, the, the, the kind of philosophy that someone like Ken Robinson had, but I was part of a system, mm. um, as you said, and the, the way the system worked was it was quite clear about what the metrics were, and it was pretty clear about what your your path of travel should be if you were to be a success by yes. those metrics. Um, the older two siblings, Kitty's older two siblings, have done really well and ploughed that sort of that furrow. So the idea of, of Kitty not following that path initially was quite an anathema but 
I think seeing how she has just discovered her own joy of learning uh yeah she she is um this incredible sort of enthusiast for for learning and for for picking up new skills uh for applying herself uh, for pinging off on tangents coming back to, to the idea yeah she teaches me the entire time and that has utterly reshaped my way of thinking with education in that it's not that i'm negative about it uh, i think it's a i think teachers in particular work incredibly hard but in a system that that caters for inevitably just a percentage of of uh, the children and there is a significant percentage for whom it's not really mm. doing very much mm. and i think for 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 kitty i think kitty actually probably would have benefited from both sides but actually yeah the path that she has ended up going down has been absolutely right for her um, and yeah, that's, that's a big change in my way of thinking. It's interesting because I think potentially I know what's going through my mind or what maybe other people are thinking is, and we're going to go into now the story, the almost magical story that we're, um, that you guys have created and, and that that's real. It's not fantasy here is daughter is struggling. Dad is able to see that and see that he was part of the solution in some way, not knowing what it was, and loved someone so much to change his life and allow the daughter a new path that was off the beaten track that we all think we can't do, right, as parents. Mm. You know, it's, it's, we're not, you know, we go back years and I always remind Harry, darling, you know, 150 years ago, you know, you would have been in the fields right now. You know, this is what you would have gone to war potentially. Like mm. you are a grown up, but years ago now you're still 18 going on 19 and you're treated as the way you're doing. But, you know, as the way we do. But we don't don't we, as, as as adults, we don't want to not give our children the opportunities or the same path as everyone else because mm. are we going to damage them and so the, here starts the story for anyone thinking about their own children and maybe that something different is right for them because since you fell in love with that loaf of bread that you spoke about I mean beautifully Kitty might you share the story of what actually happened next because I know mm. it wasn't planned um, but more beautiful serendipity yeah, I mean, our whole journey wasn't planned at all. So I can be a little bit obsessive. I can be quite obsessive. Um, and once I learned how to make this really simple bread, I wanted to learn everything there was about bread. So I'd watch all the YouTube videos. I'd read all the books, just, you know, normal 13-year-old stuff. <laughs> and slowly over time, I taught myself not only how to make bread, but like sourdoughs and different varieties, but we were doing this at home and I think I was baking at least like four loaves a day, which is a family of five. Like we can eat a lot of bread, but like it was 99% of our diet with the exception of 1% <laughs> being butter. <laughs> so we started to just give it away, not as a, oh, this could be something, but literally as a way to get it out of the house and to give our bread bin some relief. But as soon as we started giving it away, we just didn't realize that what a demand was there. And I remember I'd be in like the biscuit aisle in the co-op and someone would come up behind me and be like, are you, are you the girl selling the bread? And I'd be like, yeah, but shh, we're keeping it on the down low. And it just grew from there. So that then grew into a subscription service. And we had this old oven, which could bake about like one loaf in two hours. So I started using my neighbor's ovens and I was doing all the bread baking in these Dutch casserole dishes, like Le Creuset style. And I was putting them into their neighbor's ovens. I turned the ovens on and then the neighbors would come down and get ready for work or school and then they'd leave and then I'd go back in and I'd bake all the bread. They did know about this, I, I, I hope. <laughs> yeah, you weren't like this secret. A secret person. No. And everyone would come home and go, why is my house just always smells of bread? I always left a loaf behind as well for them. Oh my the magic elf. 
Yes, exactly. Mm. I, I saw some gorgeous photos of you, Kitty. It was like your magic cabinet. Tell me about that, because that so, is something out of Harry Potter. So initially, I was just cycling around the whole village, dropping off this bread. But then the subscription service got so big that I couldn't do it all by myself anymore. So we had this little white cabinet outside our house and I would put in where everyone's bread was. So like John's bread and like Ashley's bread and stuff like that in the cabinet. And then people could come by and pick up their loaf any time of day. But I also always had like creations and inventions and things I was experimenting with, which to this day I still put in the cabinet. And we have a little sign that say saying free bread or free carbs and then anyone can just come by and pick it up <laughs> and is it right that some people in this magic cabinet which i am literally you know some children's book needs to be created on you they some people would leave some coins but some people would leave some eggs and their mm. um walnuts from their trees and it's like harry even, potter yeah. yeah leave mm. you books and recipes i mean this is just isn't that beautiful? Just that. It was magic. I mean, I would put in 12 loaves and I would shut the door. And then four hours later, I'd open the door and there'd be some pears and some walnuts and some eggs and some jam. And then I'd take it in and the cycle would repeat itself. Each week, I'm joined by our wonderful partners at Dell Technologies. They are passionate supporters of small businesses right across the UK through their free resources, but also their networks like Dwen, Dell Women's Entrepreneur Network, championing female founders and helping them thrive. So this week, they're giving away their ad break to a brilliant female founder to share her story and more about her small business. When my best friend told me she was putting on her brave pants and escaping an abusive relationship, it sparked something in me and I just had to make the pants. To help everyday sheroes to feel a little braver, to trust their voice, to climb that mountain, to get through illness, trauma and grief, and just to get out of bed on those days when you don't think you can. You lot couldn't get enough of our pants with purpose. Brave Bird Pants have touched bums, heads and hearts. Come see our incredible community of Brave Birds in action by searching at Brave Bird Club on your socials. I'm Sarah Oakley and if I can leave you with one gift today it's that in those times of fear and self-doubt always pull up your Brave Bird Pants. To find out more about Dwen and how to sign up head to dwen.com. Now, back to our conversation of inspiration. So you were baking for your neighbours, running the subscription service, and then you started doing pop-ups where you sold nearly 100 loaves of bread and donuts in just half an hour. Was there a light bulb moment where you thought, gosh, I've okay, now I've found my purpose here, when was that moment? And maybe I'll the same question to you, but like, so this might have been, I don't know, recovery or coming through something. When did you go, I think this might be the rest of my life? I'm not sure I ever had that light bulb moment of this is what I want to do forever. I think, if I'm honest, it probably was that first time I made a life because what happened was I'm a feeder. So I wanted to work out a way to give more people my bread. So we started doing pop-ups. And things just escalated so fast because not only was it so therapeutic, it was addictive. And it was mm. this beautiful addiction that I still have and that I love and that I nurture because bread is so much, like I say, bread is so multidimensional. And I don't think I ever had that moment of thinking I want to be a baker for the rest of my life because if I'm honest, I don't want to be a baker for the rest of my life. But I always want to be working with bread and using bread and seeing what networks and what relationships can be created with bread yeah. and the skills of bread baking. And now for you, did mm. you, you, you was there this, you were like, oh, hang on a minute. It was just one loaf. This is turning <laughs> out to be something that's all encompassing. Yeah, I think there was definitely, uh, there were moments of uh, utter horror <laughs> when I realised actually yeah, this, this snowball wasn't going to stop. You'd right. created a bread yeah, monster. Absolutely. Um and I think, but I think yeah, Kitty mentioned that we've never had a plan. I think part of the thing, that the sort of context of all of this, this kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. Yeah, Kitty was still very much 
recovering. Mm. Uh, she was in recovery mode. This was really helping, but there were still a lot of challenges um, that she had. And and really, we just sort of thought, well, this is working, so let's just go with it. We'll mm-hmm. just say yes to to anything that cr- comes up because it seems to be helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and where that yes takes you was rather unexpected uh, and unplanned. And as I say, <laughs> probably the last thing that I would have made as a as a cautious dad as a decision on my own. But I had to say yes because, as I said, it was working. It was working. Um, and yeah. And a few months later, I mean, you know, so there you go. You're saying yes. You went into business. You crowdfunded and then opened the Orange Bakery in your hometown of Watlington. And you basically soon had a cult following. Tell me about the process and the roles each of you have within the business, because I know you're producing a huge amount of baked goods, but is it a whole family affair or is it just the two of you sweating hard? (laughs) It is a family affair, but maybe not in the traditional sense. So me and dad are probably the sweaters. (laughs) Yeah, you're the sweater. You're you're doing the hard graft. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And then my mum is amazing and works with us on a Saturday in the shop selling the bread. And my siblings, like my dad said, they're very much going down their own path. So they are very much part of the bakery team because they support us, which we love. But they've got their own interests. And my sister's at uni, my brother's studying to be a journalist, which he's loving. And it's lovely to see how actually I think by going down this path, by following our passion, I think actually the whole family have done the same. So my siblings are equally as brave in what they're deciding to do and Again, I think because of what you do, in particular, Dad, they're really following their passion, not what maybe makes success in the more like conventional term Mm. and sense. That's so interesting that you say that. I didn't think of that, that actually by doing the doing and walking, actually walking on the path less trodden, by osmosis, you're, you know, you're inspiring other people, your family but I'm actually sure people around in your town and do you know what I mean, that you, you've mm. looked at it differently. And, and Al, tell me, you've said very openly that you couldn't do this without people's support. Mm. Um, Real Bread, um, a campaign that finds and shares ways of making bread better for us, but also better for our communities and our planet and your community support. Tell us about that and why it's made the world of difference. <laughs> So we, we, uh, we're very proud as a town of being the smallest town in Britain. Uh, and we're, we're, Kitty and I are some of the smallest people in the smallest town. <laughs> I don't know what that makes us. Uh, people always think I'm actually quite tall because they yeah. see me in the photos and they're like, oh, she's nearly the same height as her dad. She's both quite little. So yeah. We live in a house with very low ceilings. You can see yeah. from Kitty. So, I can actually. Yeah, yeah. But this is perfect for this magical yeah. story, right? Uh, this absolutely. is like you couldn't be just giants and, you know, do you know what I mean? Six no, footers. No, we're definitely you, elves. You you're know. you're yeah. the elves of the town. We even have little leg dogs. We have corgis. So. <laughs> yeah. It's a very magical town. Uh, and the kids all went to the local schools and, yeah, Kitty went to the local nursery before doing that. So we know everyone and everyone knows us. And when Kitty was ill, yeah, and you alluded to it, you know, one of the things was that Kitty was so brave about was just being honest about this situation. Mm-hmm. And we had to be honest as well with with our community. You know, this is this is why Kitty couldn't go to school. Uh, school were brilliant at sort of, you know, helping us during that whole sort of process. And when we started sort of on the whole bread journey, again, our town just sort of really came together to sort of help us with the crowdfunding Mm. and just sort of believing in us and for us that whole sense of community really really matters and yeah we've been able because we we, we're in this very privileged position of having the bakery uh we've been able to give back to the community in terms of working with the schools and working with age concern and working with the brownies and working with the homeschools you know all the different sort of groups around but we have gained so much from the people around us. Mm. It's a huge part of our story. Um, but also, just going for a tangent, and Kit, you, know, you might want to talk about this, but 
there's that wider kind of invisible, well, not invisible because they're very visible, community of bakers mm. but from all over the world who've been amazing with Kit as well. Yeah, tell me about that. Well, the thing about bread is it's this universal language and I've been really, really lucky to have travelled to Copenhagen or Paris or America even and then London of course and been working in bakeries around the world and sharing my skills and they share their skills and it's this really lovely world where you get to understand so much about a culture through such a lovely and simple staple and the community of bakers is amazing because we're all addicts, really. We're all utterly in love with the pursuit of bread and what it can do. So we all want to help each other. That's so beautiful. And tell me, because I don't know about Real Bread, the campaign, is that, are all the bakers supportive of it? Can you just tell me a bit more about it? Because I know that you credit it a lot. Mm. You go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they're a really, really interesting campaign that basically just want to sort of uh, give a bit of space and acknowledgement to smaller independent bakers, you know, whether it's individuals or whether it's it's small um, family-run businesses who are making bread from the simplest ingredients. Uh, and because the reality is that the bread we've grown up with as a culture is your classic supermarket sliced white loaf that lasts for months and months inside a, a plastic bag. But when you squish it down turns back into dough and not everyone mm. enjoys eating. So Real Bread can be a great at sort of highlighting that. But also I think one of the things, yeah, going off on a, a side tangent is Kitty and I are really keen not to be bread snobs because actually sometimes white sliced bread from the co-op is brilliant <laughs> yeah. with a bacon yeah. butty or a, or a crumpet. Know, yeah. I'm always secretly buying crumpets. Yeah. But also, <laughs> but if you do get the chance to taste real bread, which mm. is just made from, from, you know, three ingredients, it's incredible. Uh, and that's what we just want is we just want people to have the chance to bake or make bread made out of those really simple ingredients. Because once you've tasted it, it's very hard to go back. When we started the Holly & Co shop, mm. we were very, very keen to have real bread in our shop. And the issue was, is that you couldn't really get sort of small bakers to come and distribute in your shops. It was mm. actually quite difficult to do it. So you could go and get the, you know, the bigger companies to send it. Um, but we found a baker who was going to give us the bread. And I've literally, you know, when you have sort of party stories that you tell everybody, this story stayed with me and I actually haven't told it in a while, but you're the experts here. It's just come to me. So now you've ignited it. So <laughs> I'm going to say, it, and you're going to be the experts. So I couldn't believe it. And so for everyone listening, you're not going to be able to believe this either. That the reason we have our bread in our supermarkets, um, a little bit like milk, but let's not talk about milk at the moment, but something like, I don't know the stat, 90% of all bread that you can buy basically has missed the crucial point of making bread, which is proving this is this thing of that mm. happens for two hours or three hours and it all rises and it becomes this lovely creature. No, the bread we buy in that plastic basically has missed that. So what happens is then you go and put it in the toaster, lovely, eat that up. And this is the bit that is a bit gross. It proves in your stomach so actually it grows in your belly and why so many of us feel bloated or not healthy or not good and why, for instance, you go and look at the French and you're like, but hang on a minute, you scoff croissants and baguettes all the time and how are you like that and we're like this and the difference I was told is because they make their bread. The bread is properly created mm. rather than what we consume Ever since that moment, I have never looked at bread again. My husband bakes bread at home, but we don't look at bread the same because mm. actually it's... And now tell me, am I right in what I was saying then, that little story? No, or does are. it get worse? Oh, it gets a lot worse the more you dig <laughs> oh, into it. Oh, no, go it. on, tell us. Tell us a few things that I can now add to my story, Kitty. Come on. Well, it's everything. I mean, if you look at the health hazards, most bread has around like 26 different ingredients in which is simply because, and it is really, I get very geeky about it. Oh, but I love this. We Go. Used to have, we used to have pretty good bread in this country. 
I mean, we were on the same kind of continuum as France and as other countries in Europe. We had bakeries. But then what happened was when the war came, we couldn't import our wheat. And we were always importing our wheat from Canada and other places. And the thing is, we really struggle to grow good bread wheat in the UK because you need nitrogen in the soil. And because it's always raining here, the nitrogen is constantly getting washed out. So the government came together and they came up with this Chorley Wood method. And the Chorley Wood method was whether you took British wheat and you added 28 different enzymes and ingredients and additives and chemicals and you could produce this amazing white, fluffy, very, very cheap loaf which could get us through the war. But then after the war, all the bakers obviously had gone out of business because Mm -hmm. this bread was cheaper and more conventionally loved. And after the war, these companies who were making it were making a fortune. So they didn't stop and they carried on. So that's why we have this white slice ultra processed bread, which I think we waste about a million slices every single day. Just in one day, we waste a million slices of this ultra processed white bread. Because we don't treat it well, we throw it away, it's cheap as chips. It's cheaper than chips. Oh my gosh, you've got so many catchphrases here. Cheaper than <laughs> chips. What did we do the other time? We were on an Instagram live and we were doing trying to come up with something. I can't remember, creating another catchphrase. Anyway, need to stop that, Holly. That is fascinating. That has now added to my story that I will be boring people with. But also, we've now got a heck of a lot of people listening right now who are also going to bore people with this. And it's not boring. It's the thing that makes, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. It's, as I said, it's the same with uh, milk, etc. I know that this is now part of your mission to help others discover for themselves this sort of restorative, therapeutic power of baking. And you published your book, Bread Song, in 2022. And tell me about why it's called Bread Song, because mm. I just thought it was super beautiful. But also, I have my own experience of writing my book, but I've interviewed a few people where writing a book isn't necessarily plain sailing. I mean, obviously, it's bloody hard to write a book, but actually, it brings up a lot of things. So tell me about what that experience was like. I mean, unsurprising. Everything is quite unplanned in our story. And even writing a book, we'd never really planned or thought about, but it just happened. So we were approached by this lovely woman who had seen our Instagram and just thought it was such an amazing story. And she asked us if we'd ever be interested in writing a book. And if we would be, Bloomsby would be very interested. But this was at the time where we hadn't even got a bakery yet. It was on the back burner, but we didn't really take it seriously until lockdown happened. And then during Mm. lockdown, we realised that it was a real time. I mean, for us, we were working 24-7, but we also started to reflect a bit. And we decided that we should just start in the way that people journal. We should just start writing. And for me, I think it was, at first, it was very scary because everything was very fresh and a lot of things I wanted to put under the rug and move on from. But writing about everything was incredibly therapeutic because I think for a really long time, I had slightly felt guilty and blamed myself for having depression and anxiety, Mm -hmm. which I know sounds silly, but I, I think I blamed myself and felt guilty for the things I did and said whilst in that state. And actually writing about it and going back there really helped me forgive myself because I was able to see what I was going through. And actually, I think for both of us, the big result was that not we wanted to have a book out there, but we learned how to be proud of ourselves, which is something which really doesn't come naturally to us. I can imagine. And Al, tell me about why was it called Bread Song? So that first ever post that Kit did on her Instagram, which is amazing, her Instagram, you know, that it's been a sort of huge part of, of our success, but is of her pulling a loaf from the oven. And if you sort of lean in really, really close to a, a loaf, uh, you'll burn your ears. But if you don't lean in too close, <laughs> what you hear is this amazing crackle because all the crust is suddenly condensing in the sort of cool of the air as opposed to the heat of the the oven. And it sounds like, um, well, it sounds like distant applause. And that's called bread song. Mm. 
My goodness. Are you thinking of maybe doing an album next? <laughs> oh, we've already done it. Yeah. <laughs> we, made, yeah. we made use of these microphones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know this it, the story goes on i think everyone's like okay yeah and now done no no everyone it keeps going and while you were in the awards in the first place kitty uh, the independent awards is you also you're an entrepreneur basically and you have introduced kitty's kits which are just add water bread mixes and launch bread education. I'd love to know more about this because it's very exciting. You're working with schools, prisons, food banks, community groups, making baking accessible and inclusive for all. I mean, what a thing to do. Tell me about how you feel about that. Firstly, I want to say thank you so much for including me in those boards. It gave me so much confidence again in what I was doing. But so the thing about bread making is it's like we said, it is easy and it is cheap. I mean, making a loaf costs about 25p in ingredients and 12p in electricity. So it's cheaper than your cheapest white slice. But the biggest fundamental missing component is that people don't have the confidence. I mean, we watch Paul Hollywood and Bread Week on Bake Off and we all go, oh, Bread Week, it's the hardest week. And we watch him put his thumbs into dough and it turns into like, it doesn't spring back and it's underproved and everyone's disappointed. And there's all this idea that bread making is impossible. It's up there with rocket science. And sourdough, sure, sourdough is tough, but simple bread making is so simple and it's so therapeutic. And that's what Kitty's Kits and Bread Education is aiming to do. We really want to encourage and enable others to bake bread. And by doing that, what we do is we give these kits and class structures and Zooms and support to schools and food banks and community groups and so on. And then they can use them to teach their own education classes. So we've already given nearly over 6,000 kits away. No, that's um, And we're going to try and give 10,000 by the end of the year, but we're already way over our target. It's amazing. What you're doing, as you said, it started with the simple loaf. And I think this is the beauty of this tale. And Maybe for other people here today and certainly myself, you know, if you go back to the beginning, you know, my my story started with a vegetable wreath mm. um, and someone else's story will start with a little doodle, you know, on the side of paper. And this is what, and I've got shivers even talking to you about it. You know, this is the power, isn't it, of dreaming, of saying yes Mm-hmm. of going into territories you yeah. just don't know anything about you know you don't you have no idea how to make a vegetable wreath sell it set up a stall create a fair create an online site but you say yes you keep going you keep moving the um someone said you know the, the the doors open go through the path of least resistance if the doors are open walk through them not through the doors that are closed mm. and so when you come to this point now and and I know, by the way, that if I did a podcast in three years' time, we'd have double the amount to talk about because I can just tell you're just holding on to Kitty's brain, which is just <laughs> off on a rocket. Um, can you believe that what started with that bonding between you both, the recovery of depression, is now potentially helping children understand how to cook prisoners feeling confidence, you know, thinking of getting maybe a skill coming out of prison. Because Mm. I spoke to uh, Katie Emk, who's the founder of Fine Cell Works, and they're a social enterprise that teaches prisoners to embroider um, things and they shine a light on creativity and and locking self-belief in these prisoners who really don't know what they're going to do afterwards. What's your feeling, Al, about that? And is that going to be an important part of your worlds moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think what we've got, the, 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 the strange thing is that we've almost gone full circle. So that, that same recipe that, that Kitty talked about, that she saw me do all that time ago, that started her on this journey is exactly what Kitty's kits are. Mm. You know, it's this, yes. this incredibly simple, no need recipe that looks like wallpaper paste and turns into something extraordinary. And knowing that other people are going to be pulling out, well, we get it the whole time. People send kitty fantastic videos or pictures of themselves or their children or grandchildren or whoever, or their uh, yeah, school children pulling loaves from ovens and just going, oh, 
you know, I made yes. this, I made this. <laughs> and it's it's absolutely brilliant. And I think, yeah, Kitty talks about being a feeder, which she is, but she's also um, at the risk of sounding a bit more because she's very good at feeding people's belief, self-belief. Mm. I think that's what you know, she's doing with Kitty's kids mm. is that she's feeding into this possibility of what people can do with bread. I think it's amazing. So no, it, I, I'm I'm staggered, and uh, but I I keep on learning from her, and that's the the other nice sort of flip round going back to our conversation about education at the beginning. It's yeah, he's so generous saying that, but also, I mean, I couldn't do any of this without him. We always think of ourselves like architects and builders, and I'm like an architect, and I have all these ideas, but. If I was to build a house, I would build it from the ground up and I build it very, very fast and it would probably fall down at the slightest bit of wind or weather. And dad is like my builder. He builds the foundations. He builds the scaffolding around me. He makes sure that I won't fall down and that it's sustainable and it can weather anything. There's just a beautiful moment, isn't there? I mean, wow. What's your dreams with Bredjucation? Might we mm. see it in all schools across the country? I mean, my my other my, my husband works with a school um, dealing with disadvantaged children, and you know, trying to teach them to cook, and that's what my husband's passionate about. So he works with this, you know, classes and things. So is this something that you know, if, if schools are teaching cookery, that we could see your kits being in these classes? That's what we'd love. I mean, at the moment, like I said, the 6,000 kits we've given away, we love it, but we're doing it all out of our own time and out of our own pocket, actually, so it's done with savings. So I think the next stage will be finding a way to make it sustainable so that we can really grow it. Each week, I hand over this moment to our partners at Avon. Over the past few months, I've been working closely with Avon reps, supporting them on their personal and business journeys. I'm constantly amazed by not only Avon's work and impact, but the resilience, grit and determination of each and every single Avon rep that I'm lucky enough to speak to day in and day out. They really are an amazing group of women and it's truly humbling to be part of their individual journeys. So with that in mind, for the rest of this series, I'll be handing over this ad break to some of them to share their own unique stories with you. Hi, my name is Amanda and I've been with Avon for five years as a rep and as a sales leader. I became a rep because at the time I wanted to spend more time with my family because the hours I was working didn't suit my lifestyle. I want to be successful with my business because that means I can create more memories with my family. Being an Avon rep means that I'm in charge of my own destiny. It's actually totally changed my life. No more worrying if I can have a week off work for holidays. Plus, if my children are ill, I don't need to ask for time off. I love being a rep because I love seeing my customers happy when they receive their products. It's like I'm Santa Claus every day. The biggest thing I've done with my earnings is purchase a gift my son has been asking for ages for his birthday. My first year with Avon was a proud moment as I actually earned more in that year than I did in three years with the previous company I was with. I just wish I'd joined Avon sooner. If you'd like to find out more about our partnership or how you too could go on your own business adventure as an Avon rep, head to holly.co forward slash Avon. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. What do you see? You both must have seen people, as you said, it comes out of the oven. Are there any stories about about that what you're saying because some people might not I don't actually think anyone listening thinks it's a simple thing as making a loaf but what is it that you see in people why did you create education what what do mm. you thinking is going to happen to those who bake mm. what is that moment that happens for them I mean you've got two sides you've got the moment of accomplishment where something which they believe to be quite hard that they can do you've got a skill for life 
which means that no matter what they're doing, where they are, they'll always have this skill. But then the natural thing about Kitty's Kits is it's so tied to mental health and a lot of it is sharing our story. So I hope that not only do people walk away with a new skill, but they have a new sense of awareness around mental health and possibly around their own mental health. And I think Mm. that's really strong because when I was growing up, mental health wasn't talked about unless you were talking about the extreme cases at school, Mm -hmm. which meant that when I found myself struggling, it was just so terrifying. What I'd love to do is give people a positive story about mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And yours is having been through so much together, at times things happening uh, that I'm sure you wouldn't wish on anyone. Are you able to look back now and in the right context of what I'm saying here, please that this all happened? Yeah, I mean, that is the greatest irony or I don't think past me would ever believe that. But I'm so pleased everything happened because I don't think in a million years I would be where I am now. And I'm so happy as to where I am. But it also has given me a depth of understanding of others, but also of myself. I mean, I know that there are some things that I can do, but I also know that there are some things for my brain I can't do, and mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm. And Al, for you? Yeah. No, I, it's it's like Kitty, it's an unqualified yes. You know, despite all the sort of pain, yeah, I've, mm-hmm. I've had a chance to create a relationship with Kitty that yeah, will always be a massive part of my life. Um, and... Yeah, that couldn't have happened had it not been for, for everything that happened to her. And and just echoing Kitty, it just gives you an insight and an empathy into people around you uh, and into yourself. And and tell me, what's the future for you guys? Mm. I mean, mm. I mean, Dad, hold on potentially mm-hmm. to the rocket ship that's about to take off here. But I I can see as a fellow entrepreneur. The opportunity here is pretty gigantic. So, I mean, that's what we've been discussing and brainstorming for the last couple of weeks. And I think we're pretty set on what we want to do in the future, obviously together, because that's how we work best. What we'd love to do is really grow and scale up education. And then alongside that, create a very similar, like Kitty's Kits bread mix, but with sourdough and using mm. different grains so that people can make really good sourdough with all these different flours in from a kit that you just add water to. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, we're going to go on to letters, so I'm not going to take anything away, but I can just imagine, you know, a lot of people listening to this. You know, if I, if I was talking to someone the other day and um, they said, oh, what's Harry going to do? And I said, oh, he wants to dig up ruins and you know under the sea actually and I said you know I actually wanted him to join the business you know Holly and Co in a way Um, but anyway he's going to be on the seabed uh, trying to find Atlantis and I said well that's lovely I said but actually we do we do have a little dream we want to maybe one day buy a town and townscape planet in a way that's modern and in the future and thinking Mm. about societal needs and thinking about kidpreneurs and elderly and loneliness and could a town, could we design something together? And it made me realise only then, you know, I was super happy to him to find Atlantis. But when I say that story, I think, oh my gosh, I think we would make a really good team, me and him. Mm. So when I look at you two, I really, I feel it. I feel not only a dad and a daughter, but I feel business partners, visionaries together that share same values. And it's a really beautiful thing to see and it will be so inspiring to so many people here who maybe might look at their children differently tonight when they've listened to this podcast or today on a dog walk whatever it is can I just ask you both on your journey I always use the analogy as you know on this podcast the roller coaster is very real on this business journey isn't it and life journey in a sense Can I ask you both individually, what would be your lowest low on this roller coaster? Shall I start with you, Kitty? Mm. I mean, my lowest low, ironically, was when the thing which healed me, bread baking, became the thing that started to cause me so much pain again. And that was during lockdown, where we just went into this wartime mentality of we've got to feed everyone. And we started working seven days a week. And 
I suddenly found my mental health rapidly declining and I didn't know how to solve it because the one thing that had helped me was suddenly hindering me. And that, again, I'm really grateful that that happened because I had to learn that I couldn't just rely on bread to sustain my mental health. I had to have all these other things because it's about sustainability at the end of the day. And one thing can't be everything. Wow. What a beautiful way again of looking at this. And and Al, if you were to say your lowest low? Well, I really like the way that you talk about the roller coaster because my lowest low followed was followed by a, a sort of very rapid high. And it was quite early on. And Kitty said, you know, she, she was really interested in, in finding anything out about bread. And we wanted to go find someone who baked really good bread. And there was no one nearby to us. Um, and then we, we read about this this um, bakery in Shepherd's Bush. It was lovely. And we went along. We went to visit her. And it was a single woman running this bakery on her own. And Kitty was so excited. And she had a loaf that she'd baked for her and uh, ready to sort of hand over to her. And it must have just been a long day for this poor woman. And when she sort of, when Kitty said, I want to be a baker, she said, okay, well, you know, it's really, really tough. You know, you can, you can say goodbye to wearing a dress again, forget growing your nails. This is one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, and I'm not sure I'd do it again. And we walked away and I just thought, oh, you know, her, her dreams would be absolutely sort of crushed. And we walked in silence uh, to the sort of local park and sat down. And I just sort of waited for Kitty to just sort of, just collapse and instead kitty was sort of smiling and she said that's what i want to be that's what i want to do i don't, I don't want to have nails i don't want to wear a dress i want to be shifting half a ton of, of of flour you know from the pavement into the bakery um that's me so it was it was it was a low and it was a massive high a massive high yeah. okay and starting with you was that your so but would that be on your roller coaster right with all the bread wafting out of your cart what would you say has been your greatest high on this on this journey mm. gosh i wasn't ready for this one okay i think uh my greatest high uh, do you know what i i uh, it's very it's a bit of a cop-out but i get a i get a lot of highs from uh, from seeing kitty i think actually most of all seeing kitty interact with with others you know when she's teaching others how to make bread, you know, whether she's working with kids, whether she's working with old people. We're training up community bakers at the moment within our community to sort of run the bakery with us. And when I see her with them, it's the way that she shares her absolute joy. And it's like a sort of transfusion for them. Yeah. Uh, and that that's my high. But it happens. It happens regularly. <laughs> yeah, I was. I mm. thought you might say that. Mm. Like I thought you might. Yeah, say there's a bit of a high every day, uh, watching her. Um, Kitty, what about you? I mean, I have a very short-term memory, <laughs> so I only I really remember things for like the last couple of weeks. But even in the last couple of weeks, so the bakery's been brilliant, and it's really like sustaining itself. And I came to dad with the idea for education and the kits and I was kind of nervous because I love working with him but I don't I didn't know that this is what he'd want to do is suddenly take on this bigger business this bigger idea and make it work and I came at him and I told him everything and I asked him like would you would you ever want to like do this with me and that was just like oh, of course I would and that gave me such a high because I know that I can't do this without him and I don't want to do this without him. But I also know that, I mean, he is marginally a tiny bit older than me. And I just love that he's so young still. And I love how young his mind is and that he, like me, is always willing to just go for it and to have that partner. Incredible. My dad actually was... Um worked with me at Not in the High Street, was the financial director for Not in the High Street and was the first person that Sophie and I turned to when we needed to work out our Excel spreadsheet, you know, <laughs> right at the beginning of the idea. And uh, little by little, he had his own practice and uh, little by little, I would ask him to do the next Excel spreadsheet. And then I needed him, could you just do like a half day? And he had other clients, you know, and then we started employing him a little bit. Could you just do a little bit more? And then it got to the point he had to 
to get rid of all of his other clients. Then he had to get rid of the company. And this is the guy who wanted to retire. This is why he was doing it. He worked for GE and did a big mm. job and everything. And this was like his like starting to slow down. And then I persuaded him to become the financial director of Notton High Street. <laughs> Work six days a week, eight hours a day, travel and commute again. Um, and I still, and that was nearly 20 years ago. And mm -hmm. still with Holly & Co., he is my mentor. He is the person I turn to. He knows me better than anyone. He knows my faults and he knows my highs. But he's that person. And I can see that in both of you. And I, it's making me think of my dad. And actually, Kitty, after 20 years, you know, I still work with him because actually you're also just two human beings, aren't you? Mm who yeah. found a way to connect mm. and work together. Yeah, you absolutely. happen to be father and daughter, but you've, you've got a shared, you're giving to each other and it's a beautiful thing. And talking of beautiful things, I'm going to now ask you, I don't know who wants to go first. You've both written letters to your younger self and I'm wondering who would like to share first. I'm happy to go. Go for it. Dad's just getting ready. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, the funny thing is that this letter to my younger self is only me six years ago because mm -hmm. I'm not like a lot of people who haven't been lucky enough yet to have this long life. So it feels very raw, but it also just feels, again, for me, like a very long time ago. So dear 13-year-old Kitty, I know you're not okay, but I promise it'll be okay. And I'm so sorry that life feels so painful right now. But I promise that one day you'll actually be glad it happened and it will give you an understanding not only of others but of yourself, which will last you a lifetime. You just have to keep going through the motions day by day because one day those motions will turn into adventures. Kitty. Thank you so much, Kitty. Thank you so much. And Dad? Well, mine's very dull in comparison. <laughs> it's quite formal. Uh, so uh, I don't know. You went for 13, Kitty, did you? Mm. Yeah, I like that. What have you gone for? Uh, I, I don't know. I think he's about 10. Okay, uh, a little bit younger. Dear me, I wish I could make half a century of life distill into something more profound, but I still feel I'm learning myself. So take my thoughts with a pinch of salt and know that this is all work in progress. I'm going to write this like a messy mind map scribbled on a scrap of paper, which you'll leave somewhere around the house and will then get tidied up and recycled. You don't know about mind maps yet, but that's my first bit of advice. Do as I don't and keep all of these in a book. Try and remember where you put it last. The first point is to embrace feeling a bit different to everyone around you. Hold on to what you think makes you you, especially at school, and relish the people who relate to you. They don't have to get all of you. Just make you feel a bit seen or heard. That's all the fuel you'll need to keep on going. The second bit of advice is learn to listen. Not many people can really do this without allowing their own ego in as a filter, and people really appreciate the ones who can. Your job will be less about achieving yourself than it is about empowering others, and it will really help. Don't be afraid of sticking your head above the parapet. You might come from a family that prefer not to take risks, but actually you'll be better at this than you realize. You're meant to have a lot of doubts, but sometimes it's easier to simply work through them by moving forward than it is to try and rationalize everything. You're a good thinker, but don't overthink. Life is sometimes simpler than the rather complicated picture your thoughts have painted. Don't be too scared of change. Most change is really good, and you need to change because very rarely will we be the same person with the same needs as the decades past. But in the same breath, appreciate the things that don't change. There will be music or films you discover at 15 that will still rank high at 50. Your taste can sometimes be way ahead of the rest of your life. Enjoy your creativity. It will come out in all sorts of ways. It will go a long time without needing to be fed, but don't take it for granted and try when you can to enjoy it for the process rather than judge yourself by the outcome. Be kind. You come from good, kind stock, which helps. Kindness is an investment which always pays dividends even if it takes a while to see these. Try and be a bit kinder on yourself during the harder times. It'll help you relate to others when they have theirs. Get used to very little money. Find joy in the small, immediate things. Walking a dog, 
I'm going to stop a second, Holly. <laughs> you know what? Right. Of course you can stop. It's a very common thing on this podcast when we read these letters that it just gets to us. Mm. Have a sip of tea. Have a slice of bread. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Kitty knows I'm a classic choker. This is, this is... I was just counting yeah. down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, get used to very little money find the joy in the small immediate things walking a dog could be every bit as joyful as skiing down a black run you can still look stylish in secondhand clothes learn to sew by the way this really helps with the last point and keep learning relish the joy of reading new things of being told new ideas of trying out something new we're both still learning and it's great oh that was beautiful thank you Thank you. Um, just going to clear my throat now. <laughs> oh, my <clears throat> They're very used to me absolutely blubbering on this one, but I'm just trying to keep it together. Kindness is an investment. And that's what I see in you two. Beautiful, kind souls distributing it to others, but to yourselves. And I think that that is going to be something we're going to watch I'm not going to do a pun, bloom. But oh. is blooming even a pun in cooking? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Some, well, let it, it slide. It'll, it'll prove. <laughs> let it slide. Yeah. Prove. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> Thanks. But, you know, it is a beautiful thing to witness. Beautiful. And if there's anything ever I can do for either of you, I am just a phone call, a DM, a tag away. But you have inspired us profoundly today, not just for what you're building, but for your relationship. So, <clears throat> Before I blub, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we love so this. I'm going to go give Dad a big hug. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.